You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master, who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures and still in us also the fear of your blessed commandments that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your all holy, gracious, and life-giving spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Hello, Father Hezekiah. Hello, Annie Mitchell. Blessing to be here as we prepare ourselves for the sixth Sunday of Pascha, sixth Sunday of Easter. We are, of course, preparing now for the Feast of the Ascension this coming Thursday. And so you'll notice in our, in our readings that we have now very much this turning of our attention to what's coming, which is, of course, Ascension and the result of Ascension, Pentecost, which we need to talk about uh, as we move forward, because then most people don't really connect Ascension and Pentecost, except time-wise, yeah, mm-hmm. 40 days. 50 days. days. But what's the internal connection between Ascension and Pentecost? I don't know. Well, I know, but you don't know. (laughs) And so we needed to talk about that. Maybe not today, but we'll get into that as we go forward here. But just noticing that this increased attention to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is about to be given to the church. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a theme that we're going to be seeing in these readings. So get out your notebook, get out your Bibles. And these are the readings. So, Father, we're, we're calling the audible again. We're starting with the gospel. We're going to start with the gospel. You remember, because we, we, what we're trying to do here is get our historical, contextual bearing. And so I like to do this. If, if we've got an Old Testament we'll start reading, we'll start there, right? And then go gospel and then epistle, because time-wise in what's being recounted in the text Yes. Right. Chronology. Yeah. Right. The chronology. Exactly. And then we'll go liturgical on Sunday. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then put it sure. in its right, its proper hierarchical order. But anyways. Yeah. All right. So starting with the gospel, we have uh, John chapter 14 this weekend, John 14 verses 23 through 29. The first reading is Acts chapter 15, and in the lectionary, we'll be reading verses one and two, and then skipping ahead to verses 22 through 29. Mm-hmm. The psalm is Psalm 67, and our second reading is from the book of Revelation chapter 21. And we'll be looking at verses 10 through 14 and verses 22 and 23. So that's what we've got for the sixth Sunday of Easter. And we're going to be starting in the Gospel of John this time. Here we go. All right. John 14. John John chapter 14. Yes, exactly. Let me move 
back to the gospel section of my lectionary book. All right, John 14, 23 to 29. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever loves me will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you I am going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. All right, Father, I think, first of all, it's important just to, to get a little reminder about the context in which Jesus is speaking these words to the apostles. So start sure. us off there. Sure. Well, first of all, we're in the Bible. Indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, no, that was that was a joke. Yes, but no, but, but get your Bibles out because we're doing these studies without Bibles in hand. You're like handicapped. You know, it's hard to walk and you know what I mean. Talk and understand. So you gotta have your Bible. So, anyways, here we are, John chapter 14. And you know, what do I have to say about it? Well, you can do it yourself, right? It's very easy for your eye to go. What happened in chapter 13? Well, there it is, chapter 13, verse one. Now the feast of Passover. When Jesus knew the world, the hour had come to part and so forth. So this is now going to be Passover feast, right? And then, of course, the passion of Christ. So, so there we have it. And in chapter 14, we're at the Last Supper. And Jesus is giving his, his Last Supper discourse. I love, we've talked about this before, but I really love this conversation which Jesus has with the apostles. Because it's like the final words of your best friend before you're going to die. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, or I remember I was mentioning about Tobit, Tobias, yeah. how he gives the final instruction to his son when he thinks he's going to die. And he says, do not turn your face away from any poor man and God will not turn his face away from you. He's giving his son his most important lessons of life. And so here in a similar way in, in the gospel of John, Jesus is at the last supper. Uh, Judas has just left, right? So here we are. We're starting 14 verse 23. If we just scan back and, and, and read what's come before this, you'll see all of what we've been covering in the last couple of weeks here in our Sunday Gospel Reflection as the church has taken us to this text. Last week, uh, of course, Judas had just left and Jesus turns and begins talking about his new commandment of love, right? And how this is the moment of Christ's glorification, because it's now that he's going to reveal to us who he is which is who is God from all eternity. He is love incarnate. And so, and so now this text continues in verse 23 and he continues in his conversation now about how they're to act. That is according to their new nature, which is love. Yeah. Right. But then begins to incorporate this, the gift of the Holy spirit. Okay. So you know, like you said, we, we got this new commandment last time in John 13 to, to love one another as he loved. 
And in, in this particular passage that we get this weekend, he says that we must keep his word in order to, to love him. So, I mean, is there a link here between love and obedience? What is that link? Yeah, Annie, I, I um, you know, was, was looking at this earlier today and that very issue started to come up because you have this, you, you do, you have clearly a connection between here, uh, the love of the father for Jesus and Jesus's love for us, our love for one another. And then the result of that in this keeping of his word. And I think oftentimes we do exactly what, well, I think where you were going with this and as immediately turn to obedience, Yeah. but we turn to obedience and right, right to do so, but we turn to obedience in a very American way. And that is by Follow the rules. <laughs> well, no, exactly. By what we might call external or positive law. Sure. If you love me, you'll obey what I say. Mm-hmm. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we shouldn't obey what Jesus says, but there's a fundamental distinction between obedience in the Old Testament and what Jesus is asking for us in the new covenant. And that is the difference between an external law and an internal law, yeah? Or positive law versus if we could use this term in this way, natural law, right? We talk about natural law being that which is placed within man's heart according to our nature, right? Well, let's talk about in those similar terms regarding our spiritual life. By, by way of going back very quickly, and you hold your Bible there in John 14, we're going to go back very quickly to the prophet Jeremiah. And one of my favorite passages in the whole of the Old Testament and so memorable because of the number Jeremiah 31 mm-hmm. you see very memorable because father Hezekiah's birthday is July 31st oh, you see yeah so the number 31 I'll never forget it again yeah the number 31 is a very blessed number and uh and uh but this is a doubly blessed number because it's Jeremiah 31 31 so you can always memorize this and 31 31 and you're in business okay Jeremiah 31 31 Please don't, you know, fill my inbox to overflowing with birthday messages on Facebook. Okay. All right. On J31. <laughs> 3131. Say a prayer for me and for, for my family and for the Institute of Catholic Culture if you want to make note of my birthday. Yes. Thank you for your prayers. Here we are. Jeremiah 3131. Behold, the days are coming. Whenever a prophet says that, He's saying the day of the Messiah, right? Because the prophets are prophesying during the crisis of the Babylonian exile. They're looking forward to the restoration of the kingdom, the restoration of the king, and the king is the Messiah. And so always when you hear a prophet say on that day or the days are coming, pretty much guaranteed, talking about the restoration of the kingdom of David, the coming of the Messiah. So what's going to happen on that day? The Lord will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So I, I take you back to that, Annie, just as a way to 
talk now the church is placing of course this text from john before us just as last week in john 14 <clears throat> as an instruction to the neophytes to the newly illumined members of the community and instructing them how we're to live so why you, you began why is it that the church going back to this text of the old of uh, john in 14 we just did mm -hmm. the passion why are we going back to the last supper why are we going back to the upper room well, because it's there that Jesus gives this most heartfelt and heart-centered teaching about what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of times we're reading these texts, we kind of fall asleep because back, you know, the Father and I are one, the Son and the Holy Spirit, got to love each other, got to have peace. And you're like, all right, all right, all right. But if you go into the text itself and realize what Jesus is doing is revealing really the heart of his ministry and his calling to his disciples and to all of us here in these texts. And going back then to what you said, what's the connection between obedience and love? There is an a, a, a internal connection between obedience and love because we're not talking about obedience like you give to the guy who's holding the M16 at you, right? There's an internal obedience because I and the Father are one, Jesus tells us. And then he tells us here in John that he and I are also one. Therefore, what is true about him is true about me. And all of this restoration now begins to happen within me. Yeah. The love which Jesus is calling us to is not an external obedience, but an internal desire to live the life which he has given us. Yeah. And that invitation is now given to the newly baptized into all of us. All right, my next question for you, Father, is why would it be better for Jesus to leave his apostles and go to the Father? Like, mm, why is that, that better for the apostles? Okay. This gets to the point I was saying earlier, and I actually had not prepared my thoughts on this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. It's really cool stuff. And the key that unlocks this door, well, you can get it right here from John. If I, he says, if I do not go to the father, then I will not send the advocate, right? Mm -hmm. But if I do go to the father, then I will. So there's the, there's the key really that unlocks, but we kind of skip over that stuff. And we're like, why? I don't understand. Well, here's the thing. Your, your answer is given to in Ephesians chapter four. And so let's turn over, let's keep our, our hand there and just turn over very quickly to Ephesians chapter four, in which St. Paul uh, gives us a, maybe a, a deeper understanding of what happened at the ascension or what's going to happen at the ascension yes is we're preparing ourselves for the feast and the connection between the ascension and pentecost okay mm -hmm. and if you want to go a deep dive into this study i did a study of the feast of the ascension on the institute website a couple years ago you can go and do that there to get yourself warmed up to the temperature of glory for the feast of the ascension okay but here we are in chapter four of, of ephesians you're with me yep i'm here and i'm at verse four there is one body and one spirit. Stop. What's St. Paul talking about? St. Paul talks about, start talking about one body Christ. and one spirit. Is he talking about? The body of Christ. Yeah, the body of Christ, but in specifically in relationship to? Baptism. Bap oh, okay. Always, always, always St. Paul's constantly going back to baptism as our incorporation into Christ. Yes? Sure, sure. But anyways, okay, that makes sense. There is, yeah. there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one creed one god sorry father of us all who is above all 
and through all and on all. Let's stop. You see what St. Paul's doing, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, your, your incorporation into this one body has put you into a communion with the Father himself, right? Who is above all and yet through all and in all. But grace, what is grace? Grace is the gift, is gift, right? The gift of God's life. But the gift of God's life is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, oh, here's your goods, Annie. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, actually, if you go do my study on the Ascension, you'll find that that quotation from the Old Testament is actually a misquotation by St. Paul, but it's a misquotation intentionally. It says, actually, that he received gifts from men, and he's speaking about Yahweh of the Old Testament. St. Paul now applies this to Jesus and and says, not only he didn't only receive gifts, as 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 the quotation says, but no, he gave gifts to men. Why? The, the ascension, like all of the feasts of the Lord, are not so much a great miraculous feast for God, about God, which is how we normally a- approach the feasts of the church and the liturgy of the church, exactly as we just talked about obedience and love. It's that thing over there. Jesus ascended into heaven in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and we are remembering this event. This is not Christian liturgy. Christian liturgy incorporates. Christian liturgy celebrates the reality here and now today. Catechism of the Catholic Church. Where is my catechism when you need it? Catechism, paragraph. Do you got your catechism handy, Annie? I do not. I got to grab my catechism. It's right there. Can I go get it, guys? Watch okay. this. Yeah. Open your catechism. The paragraph. I didn't know we were going to need a catechism today. Paragraph 1085. Go. 1085. 1085. Look at this. You got to have it handy, Andy. Andy, you, you can't be sitting I got to keep desolate. it on my bookshelf. I don't have it on my bookshelf here. Ten. It's up, it's up in my other bookshelf. Bingo. 1085. Check this good. This is, this is good stuff right here. My favorite paragraph in the entire catechism. In the liturgy of the church, it is principally his own paschal mystery that Christ signifies and makes present. During his early life, Jesus announced his paschal mystery by his teachings anticipated by his actions, so forth. His paschal mystery is a real event that occurred in our history, but it is unique. All other historical events happen once, and then they pass away, swallowed up in the past. The paschal mystery of Christ, by contrast, cannot remain only in the past because by his death, he destroyed death in all that Christ is. Now, here's the the zinger, all that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for all men, participates in the divine eternity, and so transcends all time while being made present to them all. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything towards towards life. That's what we've been learning with the book of Revelation throughout the Easter season too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when, so, so why am I, why am I, I say, saying all this? Because the feast of the Ascension, as I said just a minute ago, not so much a feast that celebrates some great glorious mystery of, uh, of God. It is no great mystery 
that the eternal word of God is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. There's a beautiful prayer in the Byzantine tradition before the liturgy begins. The deacon or the priest, if he has no deacon, takes up the incense and begins saying this prayer. Being God, you are present in the tomb by your body. And yet in Hades by your soul. In paradise with a thief. And on the throne, O Christ God, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, filling all things and encompassed by none. That means, wow. that means he, he transcends the whole business. Yeah? yeah? He never left the right hand of the Father. So what's the great mystery that we're celebrating the ascension? It's our incorporation into that reality. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the great miracle is he took our human nature and enthroned it at the right hand of the Father so that... He could do with it what it was supposed to do from the beginning, which can get us back to some basic theology. And that is what was man meant to do in the beginning, Annie? Give me it. One word. One word. One word. Love. Bingo. Because God is love. And love is. Sharing. Giving of the life. to the This beloved. is what. This is what Jesus has done for us. And the culmination of all of what has taken place, the birth from the Virgin Mary, the, the, the baptism in the Jordan, his death and resurrection, culminates in the moment of the ascension in which our human nature is put back on the throne of God so that it can do again what it was meant to do, namely give gifts to men in the image and likeness of the one who has given us all things. The ascension is the moment in which in and through our human nature, Jesus begins acting out in us what we were meant to do from the very beginning. Yeah. And so he gives gifts to men and he continues on in Ephesians chapter four, telling us what all these gifts look like. Why am I telling you all of that, Annie? Because you asked the question. What was your original question? My original question was, why is it better for the apostles that he would go to the father? Bingo. There it is. Jesus goes to the Father. Jesus takes our human nature to the Father so that we might once again, number one, receive the gift which Adam was meant to give us. And then we then would be restored in that gift and be able to do what Jesus has just done. The great feast of the ascension is our feast in which he now bestows upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit through us. Yeah. And that's going to come to a culmination then on the Feast of Pentecost, in which the apostles will receive and then begin pouring out for the life of the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, Annie. Well, one last question on, on this reading before we move on. And and that's about this peace that Jesus is talking about. Oh. You know, he he's saying, you know, uh, not as the world gives but he's giving his peace. Um, hmm. what, what, what is this peace? Okay, this is my last hobby horse on this gospel text before we move <laughs> on. We do have to talk about one line and that is that the father is greater than I. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. We yeah, do need to talk great. about that, but because I don't want to leave it and all of a sudden the Jehovah's Witness knock on your door on Saturday morning and you and deny don't the know what to say. Yeah. God forbid. So let's talk about that. But before we talk about that, talk about this piece because it is important. Most, uh, I think, uh, in, in today, very sadly, we talk about peace. We have a sense of, we, we misconstrue peace with calmness. Now, 
Father Hezekiah is not a very calm person. I admit that, <laughs> all right? Not a very calm person, but that doesn't mean I'm not at peace. Some people would say, you're not very peace, peaceful. And I would say, yes, I am. I'm just not very calm. I don't know. You know, going into the temple in the middle of the feast of uh, a Passover or whatever feast and start throwing over tables and driving people out with whips is that very peace, peaceful? Yeah, it's not the absence of conflict. It's certainly not the absence of conflict, right? So we must have a kind of a, I mean, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is he not? He came to give peace, did he not? <clears throat> and yet he says, I have come not to bring peace, but the sword. So there's a conflict in the, in the gospel itself. If peace is, as we commonly think of it, calmness accord getting along turning you know looking the other way uh, you know that's all nonsense that's a corruption of authentic peace and it's a corruption presented by the devil himself listen to saint john chrysostom he says what sort of peace does jesus bring and what kind of peace is it that the angels sing glory to god in the highest and peace on earth if Jesus did not come to bring peace, then why did all the prophets publish peace as good news? Because this is more, this, because this more than anything is peace. When the disease is removed, mm. when the cancer is cut away with the sword. Wow. Authentic peace is communion with God. Authentic peace is not getting along with my neighbor if my neighbor has sided with the devil. You see, there is no peace between truth and error. This is why there's such a thing as false ecumenism, right? Mm -hmm. True ecumenism seeks to reincorporate all the lost sheep into the one household of God, where the economy of God is lived out. False ecumenism is ignoring what that communion is and trying to establish concord among men apart from the only one who can bring unity. Remember this. Good theology is always theocentric. There is no union apart from the union of the one who has been in union from all eternity because unity is a created reality on this earth and it's created by God and apart from him, there is no unity. There is no communion apart from the communion of God. Therefore, there can be no communion between truth and error. False ecumenism would be to sit down and find some sort of conquered with error, right? Yeah. I have nothing in common with heretics, except that I love them and want them to be restored to truth so that they can be saved. True ecumenical work is always preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if the good news of Jesus Christ is not proclaimed, then it's false ecumenism. And we don't need that in the work of God. There is, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So Annie, there you have it. I've got one other quote here from St. Apollinarius, second century martyr. He says this, the unbelievers disagreement with the believer produces a distinction. The unbeliever thinks that peacemaking 
is their proper duty. They say, do not believe that it is best in all circumstances to be saved. For you owe it as a duty to be at peace with all. But there are some that are preparing for battle against our peace. And you should not let their false peace rule. For the only true, true concord, the only true peace, is to be united with God. This above all is peace. Mm. Yeah? All right, my brothers and sisters, that's what Father Hezekiah has to say about peace. Well, you said, you know, you were mentioning heretics. You're going to help me with the Jehovah's Witnesses that knock on my door this week. Oh, yeah. You know, this is this is classic. This is a classic text they turn to. See, Jesus is not equal with the Father because he says the Father is greater than I. But of course, the fathers of the church have always, from day one, not interpreted this text in this way. And those that have have been condemned in the church. Is Jesus speaking of the Father? Speaks of the Father as his the origin of all things which we believe Jesus receives all things. The word of God from all eternity is born of the father. He receives all things from the father. And therefore we can speak of the father being greater than Jesus in this sense. Yeah. But Jesus also says, I and the father are one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so look, it's important that we do not take and cherry pick verses out of the Bible. So as to defend our heretical notions, not my heretical notions, but heretical notions and fall prey to those that do. So when the Jehovah's witness knocks on your door, remember two things. They do not hold a Bible in their hand. It's called a new world translation. And it is a corruption of the Bible. Do not hold it in your hand. Do not receive it from them and do not let them quote from it in your home is your home is a temple of God. Number two, you better have your Bible ready and be able to, to, to explain the faith in a, a convincing manner, in a true manner, and filled with love so that these people might be saved and reject the error into which they've fallen. We have a talk on the Institute of Catholic Culture under Kingdom of the Cults on the Jehovah's Witnesses. encourage you to go there. Take a look. All right. Well... Shall we move on to Acts chapter 15 now? Let's go. All right. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to start with verses one and two. And then again, if you're following along in your Bible, we're going to skip a big chunk of it and move on to verse 22 in the lectionary. I have right. a feeling we might cover what's in between. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I guess we'll find out in just a few minutes. Acts chapter 15. Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved. Because there arose no little dissension and debate by Paul and Barnabas with them, it was decided that Paul, Barnabas, and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question we go on. The apostles and elders in agreement with the whole church decided to choose representatives and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The ones chosen were Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This is the letter delivered by them. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, 
to the brothers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia of Gentile origin. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number who went out without any mandate from us have upset you with their teachings and disturbed your peace of mind, we have with one accord decided to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul who dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are sending Judas and Silas who will also convey this same message by word of mouth. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities, namely to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. If you keep free of these, you will be doing what is right. Farewell. There All right, go. Father, tell us about this debate. All right, so a couple resources I'd point you to at the Institute. Well, one primary resource would be our course on St. Paul. Yes. And the course on St. Paul centers upon this text in Acts chapter 15. It's critically important understanding the church's teaching on salvation, which goes back to what we were talking about in John chapter 14. I want to go back there for just a moment to the, to the gospel reading to look just very quickly at this passage, which we didn't really dive into too much. And that is, I have told you this while I am with you, the advocate of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of all that I told you. Okay, those words are super important because we have a promise from Jesus that we are not going to find ourselves as a church um, uh, uh, lacking in the, 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 the tools necessary for the job. That, that is, we are, we are gonna, Jesus is not going to abandon us, right? We are going to come to know the fullness of the truth. This is what Jesus promised us. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent to the church so that when there are debates within the church, when there is uncertainty within the church, we can be certain that the Holy Spirit is guiding us and will not abandon us. This is super important because there are some heretics like the Jehovah's Witnesses out there who believe that the church apostatized the death of John, the year 100, okay? Well, I'm sorry, but that's contrary to the Bible. Jesus says that he will lead us into all truth, that we will have the Holy Spirit within us, that he will not abandon us, that, he will that Jesus says, I will remain with you always, yeah? So remember when a person begins saying, debating whether the church has apostatized, whether the church is teaching falsity and things like that, remember that they're, they're attacking the very foundation of the church itself. I mentioned this in a pregame discussion earlier, you believe last week, in which we were talking about the nature of the church as the communion of God. As St. Porfirio says, the church is eternal. The church is, the church means assembly, is the assembly of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the eternal church made present now on earth visibly in the church, which is established by Jesus Christ because he came to do this very thing. And that is to put us back into communion with God in the communion of the Trinity, and therefore also into communion with one another, reestablishing God's original plan for mankind. Yes. So when we talk about a council of the church, we're studying right now 
with Dr. John Papino, a series on the councils of the church. Mm -hmm. A council of the church is a conversation of the church. It is the communion, the conversation of the Holy Trinity that we now are participating in, which is why we believe that when a council teaches, she teaches the truth. Yes, because we speak the truth when we speak within God, right? The Father pours out his word from all eternity, and that word is true. Therefore, we should expect that word to be poured out within the church, and that word is true, yeah? And so here now, John tells us, or Jesus tells us, that we will be led into all truth by this gift of the Holy Spirit that's going to come within us, and now that truth is going to be tested in Acts chapter 15, when the first great division, dissension, problem takes place in the church. And what, what is the problem? And the problem is, we've spoken about this a lot at the Institute, um, uh, these Judaizers, that is, people who have become Christians but believe that you have to become a Jew before you can actually become a Christian. That is, you have to be circumcised before you're baptized. You got to keep Sabbath before you keep resurrection. You got to you've got to keep all the kosher laws and so forth. So let me throw a big piece of dynamite in the middle of this entire thing because it is it is a, a prevalent and growing heretical movement within Christianity that is seeking to um, uh, uh, bring back Levitical laws and impose them upon the Christian community. Yes, many people believe and are beginning to believe that you should be keeping Sabbath. And a lot of Catholics being poorly formed believe that we do keep the Sabbath, but on Sunday because Jesus Sunday. changed it to there. But that's a bunch of nonsense. Nowhere in the early church or, or in the history of the church we ever taught that Sunday is the new Sabbath. No, no. What we believe is that Jesus has fulfilled the entire law. Why? Because the whole point of the law was love. The entire point of the law was that the will of God would be lived out in his image and likeness. Yes. When Jesus took our human nature to himself, he is the walking will of God. Right. Yes. And therefore what he does fulfills, that means brings to its purpose, every single dot and tittle of the law by his very living Therefore, salvation is not a matter of going back and doing those things as though Jesus didn't do them enough for us. It's a matter of being in Christ because he is salvation. He is the eternal God and being in him allows us to participate in this eternal reality. And death in that act is destroyed. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, salvation is not some heady theological, mathematical, juridical courtroom decision by which I have enough grace or not enough grace and all these things. And I've fulfilled these obligations and I've checked off these boxes. Salvation is Christ. Salvation is God. And he has now allowed us to participate in who and what he is. That is salvation for mankind not Sabbath day observance or kosher law observance or any of the rest of that. No, those were an introduction by which we might begin to live, become obedient from the outside to the internal law, which Jesus is going to give us in the New Testament. Okay, fair enough. But then why does the end of this letter say, you know, we're, we're not going to place any burden upon you except yes. these things, yes. abstain from me, you know, the, right. the yeah. 
do these, yeah, all these, all these things. Simply this, that we still live in a context, or the apostles did anyways. The apostles still lived in a context was, which was very volatile, as we can see right here, right? They yeah, got absolutely. the enemies all around them. You want to know what they skipped in this passage? They yeah. skipped the fight because they go to <laughs> Jerusalem. What's just happened? Paul just went on his journey, right? We've been following him. Right. He goes up into Asia Minor and he visits all of these places, which are mentioned right there. Uh, well, last week. Uh, he, yeah, you got to go back to last week. And he mentioned all these places they're traveling back now on their way back and eventually get back to Antioch. Right. Well, what's happened, Annie, in this journey? Well, they encountered the Gentile world for the first time. And all of a sudden they got Gentile converts. This all is prepared for back in Acts chapter 10. You can go back and look at Acts chapter 10. It begins with, with, um, Peter's vision that he has in Acts chapter 10 in preparation for him to go to Cornelius's house mm. and the vision, the dream he has comes to the, he, all these foods that he couldn't eat. Right. right. You got the, all the, all the foods the Jews wouldn't eat right. all of a sudden descend in front of him. And he hears the voice of God say, eat it. <laughs> and Peter's Clean. like, no, I can't eat it. I'm a Jew. And he says, no, you're, you, you get transcended because what God has called clean you cannot call and clean there in verse chapter 10, verse 15. Hmm. The voice came to him again and said a second time, what God has cleansed, you cannot call common. Okay. And then this goes on then in chapter 10, he goes to Cornelius's house. And this is the key part. It's going it, to, this is my favorite passage to help us understand chapter 15, even though all of Paul's travels also get to this point where the Gentiles start coming in St. Paul, faces it but peter faces it first here in chapter 10 look at what happens he goes in, in verse 34 chapter 10 verse 34 he begins preaching to cornelius's house about the resurrection of christ and about baptism verse 44 says while peter was still saying this the holy spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised there you are right look at your first verse and what we're looking at right now Okay, uh -huh. those that's the same that I, sorry, I turned my page. Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised, right? So there you are. Right. Yeah. Okay, though the believers from among the circumcised, verse 45, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentile, oh godless, heathen, disgusting. For they heard them speak in tongues, extolling God. Then Peter declared, I love this, my favorite line that Peter in his entire ministry says, can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have just received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I got it. Put on. Okay, Catholics, put on your spiritual crash helmet right now. What just happened? Peter's in Cornelius' house. He's preaching the gospel. And what has happened? Well, something has happened that hasn't actually been said. Apparently, these people have refused to bring Peter water so he could baptize these so people. Baptize them first. So God's like, I'll baptize them myself. He zaps them <laughs> with the Holy Spirit, confirms them in the faith. He gave wow. them confirmation. God gave them confirmation before baptism. He reverses the orders of, of the sacraments. Why? Because God isn't, isn't bound by the sacraments. Yeah. So now Peter says, you people that refused to get me the bucket of water when I told you, now you're going to keep refusing it? 
How dare you? Love it. So now they go back to Jerusalem and they tell the apostles what has taken place. They have a council, a council of God, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to whom we've been incorporated. And that council speaks the truth and says, look, none of that stuff, circumcision, kosher laws are going to save you. What is going to save you is being in Christ. And don't let anything stop that from getting for people from getting into Christ, which is why, to answer your question, Annie, they give them some random kind of weird rules. Yeah, don't eat animals strangled. Don't do this. Be careful of that. To answer that, you have to keep reading because the last thing the apostles want to do is become a scandal to those around them and become a barrier for conversion. So we're going to hear become all things to all men. Yeah. When you meet the Gentile, try not to scandalize them in their culture. When you meet the Jew, be careful of how you speak and how you act so that you can throw the net of Jesus Christ to all people and bring them into the body of Christ. Yeah. I'm going to encourage you. You want to dive deeper into this? Do the, the semester long course with my brother, Father Sebastian on the teachings of St. Paul. It'll unlock all of this for you. And if you're not a Catholic, if you're a, you maybe evangelical Protestant, maybe you're a Baptist, maybe you're Anglican, whatever the case may be, my brothers and sisters, there's been a lot of nonsense taught about St. Paul, a lot of nonsense out there. And I do believe that a correct understanding of Acts 15 will change all of that for you. Go and do that study on St. Paul, Acts chapter 15, with my brother, the course on St. Paul. It was excellent. And so we see this, I mean, clearly you, you get the indication of, of how the church is being governed by the apostles themselves mm -hmm. with the aid of the Holy Spirit, right? And that's kind of what we're... I mean, this is part of the vision that that St. John right. is having in, in Revelation, our second reading this yeah. weekend. Yeah, I, I want to go above and beyond the magical language. Everybody's like, woo, like the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And then all this <laughs> stuff, you're like, wow, it's kind of, no, you, you read through and into John what he's, what he's showing you. And what he's showing you regarding the church, the new Jerusalem is baptism. Mm -hmm. It's all about baptism. The foundation stones of the, of the temple of God are the apostles who have laid the foundation of the church in their preaching and built then upon that foundation, a temple, no more uh, written on stone, Jeremiah 31, 31, right? No longer with the law of God written on stone, but written on their hearts. We now build the temple in, not in the physical Jerusalem out of dead stones, but the spiritual Jerusalem out of living stones. And that's you and me. Take a look at first Peter with me. First Peter, right there toward the end of your Bible. First Peter chapter. You with me, Annie? First Peter chapter two. I am there. Verse one. So, so put away chapter two, verse one, verse Peter. So put away all malice and all guile and sincerity, envy and slander like newborn babes, right? Born again, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, you may grow up to salvation for you have, you have tasted the kindness of the Lord come to him, to that living stone, 
rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, the, through Jesus Christ. Now, everything the Old Testament was all about, all of those laws, my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters, all of that that is being debated in Acts 15 is fulfilled in Christ. It is fulfilled in everything he did. And now you, if you want to fulfill the Sabbath law, you do through your holy baptism. You do by your incorporation into Christ, not by going back and doing what they did, but by getting into the one who has done salvation for us by taking our human nature to himself and making us one again with God. May God bless you all as we prepare for this beautiful feast of the Ascension and begin for the ministry of the church that is the ministry of the living stones into which you are participating in the apostolic ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. And to him be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.